Hello and welcome to Upstage the Podcast, your weekly dose of theatre news and reviews. I'm Rachel. And I'm Abby. This week we are continuing with our musical decade series with the next part of the 1970s. And we've also got quite a lot of good theatre news for you. So Abby, take it away. The first bit of news this week is that Fiddler on the Roof is coming to the Mania Chocolate Factory. This um, feels weird to say Christmas time with Fiddler on the Roof, but this um, winter. Festivus. Festivus indeed. So it'll be opening in November and running through to March. Production will be directed by Trevor Nunn, which is exciting. I feel like if you've listened to this podcast, you know that I fucking love Fiddle on the Roof. So I'm very excited. And the Chocolate Factory, I don't think we've been to see anything bad there. No, I, we always. haven't. Everything has been brilliant that we've seen there. I'm so excited yeah. about this. And it's such a good space. I feel like there's something about the kind of feel of that room. I don't want to say that it, like it's obviously a lovely theatre, but it's not too grand and fancy so I think it'll really it'll feel really right and you're always quite close to the action no matter how they lay out that space so yes. I'm very excited for this and hopefully there'll be good casting announced soon as well because I also normally get some very strong performers at the Mania I'm sure they will I mean surely this is angling for a West End transfer at some point so you'd think, think especially with Trevor Nunn directing yes exactly very exciting the next piece of news is that Waitress is finally coming to the UK, which is very, very exciting. It's going to open in February 2019 at the Adelphi. Obviously, it's still running on Broadway at the moment. It's been open on Broadway since 2016. So very, very exciting. This is finally coming over. The music is obviously great. It's written by Sarah Bareilles. And I'm really excited to see who they cast in it. I don't know whether they... I wonder whether they'll bring, like, Sarah Bareilles over to star in it for a bit to open it. And that would be so much fun. I think that would be fun, but I also think... I mean, they did kind of stunt cast it with Sarah Bareilles and Catherine McPhee. But they have... It has been a role that's a really great showcase just for great musical theatre performances. So Jessie Mueller was just, like, incredible in that role and she's very musical theatre. So I wonder if they'll take someone like Cassidy Jansen. Oh, I'd love Cassidy Jansen to do it. That would be so good. So I think maybe the the lead will go to a very big West End name. I think that would be fun as well. But also, obviously, if Sarah Bareilles came over and did it i would be very happy with that i would i'm so excited to see who they cast in it so excited also of note is that it's going to be the first western musical to have an all-female creative team it's going to be directed by diane paulus who directed pippin which we talked about a couple of weeks ago the recent broadway role of that and choreography is going to be by lauren lataro very exciting yay women it really is ah i love waitress i'm very excited for this I'm very excited for this also. And I think the Adelphi is a beautiful theatre, so I'm excited to see how it looks. It is, and it's a good um, sort of size for this as well. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Another exciting thing coming to London pretty soon is a production of All My Sons, which will be opening at the Old Vic next spring, starring Sally Field and Bill Pullman. I love Sally Field, so I'm very excited about that. And All My Sons is a very strong, very strong play. I saw a production with Zoe Wanamaker, probably about... 10 years ago now on the West End. So, yeah, it's a very, very strong role for Sally Field, who deserves something excellent. And I'm glad that um, we're getting it, not Broadway. (laughs) Some more closure news. Lots of musicals actually announcing closures at the moment. So Motown, which is currently at the Shaftesbury Theatre, is also going to be closing next year. It's going to close on the 20th of April, 2019. It's been running since February 2016, so it's had quite a good run there. They're closing the show because they're doing quite significant refurbishments to the Shaftesbury Theatre. They're, like, 
building a basement level like with a bar and seating i think i'm just making improvements to the theater which is exciting because it's quite a the corridors are very narrow there so i'm excited to see what they're gonna what they're gonna do with it motan is going on tour this october in the uk and a little fun fact in january 2019 the motown record label is celebrating its 60th birthday oh isn't that nice that's a very nice fun fact Hmm. Then a couple bits of casting news. So with Martin Kemp coming to the end of his run as Billy Flynn in Chicago on the West End, everyone's obviously very excited to see what massive star will be taking over. And it is Duncan from Blue. Duncan James will be playing Billy Flynn from the 10th of September. Presumably until January. They haven't announced what's happening with Chicago officially, but Come From Away is going to be at the same theatre so I don't know if it is closing or if it's moving somewhere else I mean it's been booking till January for a long time yeah but either way if Cuba Gooding Jr. just didn't have enough star power for you and you're waiting for someone with real quality and class then maybe now's the time with Duncan now James now is the time Duncan James is here if anything's uh-huh. going to get us to go and see that production of Chicago it's Duncan James I mean, I just want to see all of Blue performing all the roles, really. The cell block tango with... Anthony Costa as Roxy. No, Anthony would be the Ukrainian... Is she Ukrainian? Hungarian? Hungarian, yeah. Yeah. Just there for a moment and then... And then dead. <laughs> I feel like that sums up his music career. Some more very exciting casting news is that Laura Benanti has been confirmed to take over as Eliza Doolittle in My Fair Lady on Broadway. So Lauren Ambrose is leaving on October the 21st to start in a TV show produced by Apple. Apple is starting to create content now, which is a bit terrifying. They are doing a psychological thriller series by M. Night Shyamalan and a British TV writer called Tony Baskallop. I don't know how you pronounce that surname. Anyway, so Lauren Ambrose is leaving to star in that, which is exciting for her. But extra exciting is that Laura Bonanti will be starting in My Fair Lady on October the 23rd. I would kill to see Laura Bonanti as Eliza Doolittle. Ugh, I'd love to see it so much. Doesn't actually say how long she will be in the role for, but the production is scheduled to close on February the 17th, 2019. So it may be that she does the whole five months, or maybe that someone else takes over. I'm not sure. But... Very exciting, Laura Benanti. So that is this week's theatre news. Now we are back to our musical decade series. So we left you with Rocky Horror, which was 1973. The next big musical to come along was Chicago in 1975. So Chicago has quite a legendary creative team. So it's a Kander and Ebb musical. So music by John Kander and lyrics by Fred Ebb. And was directed by Bob Fosse. It was actually a play before it became a musical. It was written by Maureen Dallas Watkins. So she wrote about her experiences as a crime reporter for the Chicago Tribune, covering females who had been accused of murder and the way that they became sort of celebrities in the press and were very rarely convicted. And then Cecil DeMille produced a silent film version of that play in 1927 that was remade in 1942. So it kind of had had a lot of iterations before it became the musical. And it was actually actress Gwen Verdon who suggested to Bob Fosse, her husband, that this play would make a good musical. So even though the creative team were all male, the idea came from a woman, which is nice. The 
characters, Roxy and Velma, were based on real murderers in the original play and for the musical they're also sort of based on 1920s vaudeville performers and even Billy Flynn was based on someone from the sort of entertainment world, the band leader Ted Lewis, so all the sort of the big personalities of the entertainment world of the 20s which is pretty cool I think. So the original Broadway cast of Chicago involved Gwen Verdon as Roxy and Trita Rivera as Velma Kelly. Obviously, these two roles are fantastic roles for women. If I was, you know, capable of singing and dancing, I would probably want to play Velma Kelly on stage. That would be one of my dream roles. And actually, after the show had opened, Gwen Verdon had to leave the show temporarily for a throat operation and Liza Minnelli stood in as Roxy for five weeks. So that's fun. It's a little fun fact. Although actually, when Chicago did open, it opened to quite moderate reviews. I think it was a little bit overshadowed by a chorus line, which we will come on to very shortly. It was nominated for 11 Tony Awards, but it didn't win any, which really surprises me because I think, well, I haven't actually seen Chicago the musical, although I've had plenty of opportunity to. I think the film, which again we'll come on to in a second, is fantastic. And I think that the yes. way that they could do with the story and music on stage, like the vision that I have of it is so good. The music is fantastic. The story's great. Yeah, yeah the, the music. I'm surprised that they didn't get any awards for the music. Yeah. Because it's such a good score. Yeah. Despite the sort of middling reviews, it did run on Broadway for three years. It transferred to London in 1979. And the stars of that were, again, nominated for Olivier Awards for their performances. And then it's been revived and revived and revived ever since. The 1996 Broadway revival has moved around a few times on Broadway to different theatres. But it's still playing. And it's now the second longest running Broadway show ever, overtaking Cats to get to number two, which is... That's a very, very long time. That's 22 years, which is absolutely crazy. Crazy long time for a show to play on Broadway in this day and age. And then, obviously, there's the West End production at the moment. It's had a few, quite a few revivals in the West End. But they all, I don't understand why they always seem to stunt cast it. We discussed this when we were talking about Chicago yeah. opening. But it always seems to be, like, you know, Martin Kemp is Billy Flynn. And I don't understand why they don't just get the best cast that they can. And also, like why they haven't really bothered to... I mean, maybe that is a criticism of this production more than anything else, but why they haven't seemed to sort of update how it's presented. So yeah. it seems like, from everything I've seen, that this production is pretty much just like the 90s or, you know, noughties production that was on the West End again. But I'm like, this... I feel like the show presents uh, like a bare-bones kind of narrative and music that could be arranged so many different ways stylistically. Yeah. And yet... Like, even keeping the choreography, but just... Or elements of, because obviously it's iconic, but just j jazzing it up a little. <laughs> yeah, I think there's so many ways that they could make it... Obviously, it's set in the 1920s, but I feel like there's so much modernising that they could do, and I don't understand why they just haven't done that. The film, though, is just so good. Obviously, it won Best Picture at the Oscars, as it should have done. The cast is fantastic. So Renee Zellweger, Catherine Zeta-Jones, Richard Gere, Queen Latifah. It's just so good. Such a fantastic okay. cast. And even though, like, I mean, you could call that, like, you could call Renee Zellweger sort of stunt casting because she's not sort of a musical theatre star. She is, like, a film actress primarily. But she was just so good. Catherine Zeta-Jones is incredible. So, so good. Queen Latifah is amazing. Okay. Absolutely amazing. Cool. I still watch the film all the time. Absolutely all the time. It's such a great film. 
I feel like that took the chances and the creative jumps that the stage show should be doing to keep it. I absolutely agree. Fully agree. Also, you know, Christine Baranski's in that film and she should be in everything. Cool, how could I forget Christine Baranski, who was perfect in everything ever? The cell block tango. If they should have found a way to get her into the cell block tango. I mean, yes. 100%. Speaking of cell block tango, should we talk a little bit about the songs? Yes. There's just so many great songs in this show all that jazz oh that jazz is a great song so great cell block tango i feel like is the most iconic song from this show although you know all that jazz is up there when you're good to mama that's a great song roxy's a great song mr cellophane i really like billy's songs i really like rattle dazzle and i really like all i care about i really like do it alone that's a great song i also really enjoy we both reach for the gun I love oh, yes, We Both so, Reach yes, for the Gun. Yes, we both I love Hot Honey Rag. I get that stuck in my head all the time. You know what? There's like, there isn't a bad song in this show. It's really, really not. It's just such a good score. Oh, I really want to watch the film again now. I know, me too. Oh, what a, what a gift to musical theatre Chicago is. <laughs> and yet we still haven't been to see the West End production, which says we a really lot. We really should go. We really should go. We should. Well, when Duncan's settled in. Where, during Duncan's run. Okay. Yeah. So, should we move on to Chicago's big rival in the Tonys? A chorus line. So, a chorus line is about a group of dancers auditioning to be part of a chorus line in a show. And basically, throughout the process of the auditions, you find out a lot of backstory about each of the dancers, their past, their desires, and their kind of hopes and dreams. They actually took eight of the original workshop dancers and kind of theatricalized versions of their stories. So they took these real romantic relationships and kind of the hardships of their professional lives and worked them into the show. So it resonated a lot with performers as well as audiences because it all was so true to life. I was going to say on Broadway at the time, but still today, I'm sure. This also has a few pretty big songs in it. Yes, my favourite, which is At the Ballet, I think. No, I tell a lie. It's The Music in the Mirror. The Music in the Mirror is another song that if I could sing and dance and I had to perform like a school talent show, that is what I would do with the original choreography. You can watch a great version of Scarlett Strahlin singing The Music in the Mirror on YouTube. I mean, it's a bootlegged version, so it's technically illegal. But it's on there if you want to watch it. It's very good. Another great performance you can see of that online is um, Robbie Fairchild, who was in An American in Paris, performed it at Miss Cast this year, which is also just great to watch because he is an excellent dancer. Other songs that you'll probably know from the show are One and Hello 12, Hello 13, Hello Love, which is too long a title for a song. And What I Did for Love is, I think, probably the big song from this show that is taken out and done probably everywhere um, that you'll definitely have heard of before. So, as we said, Chicago and Chorus Line opened around the same time and Chorus Line seems to have won all the Tonys that Chicago didn't win. It won nine Tony Awards and it ran on Broadway from 1975 until 1990. That is 15 years, which is incredible. There was a film adaptation in 1985, but it's kind of considered to not be particularly good, a bit of a disappointment to many sort of fans of the show there were lots of revivals of chorus lines there was a 2006 broadway revival and 2012 west end revival which is where scarlet stralin performance comes from i wish we'd seen that i really wish we'd seen it 
I yeah, same. Because I bet it was great. Yeah, I do, it's one of those things that I like. Swear I was on kind of the seat plan planning to book tickets and then yeah. never never just follow through you don't get around to yeah because i yeah. just am terrible at life so the last show that we're going to talk about this week is evita so evita is actually the last major collaboration between andrew lloyd Webber and tim rice it's oh, Evita, 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 Evita. So it's obviously about the life of Eva Perón, who was the wife of the Argentinian dictator Juan Perón. Juan Perón, great name. Tim Rice appears to have had a little bit of an obsession with Eva Perón. He travelled to Argentina in 1974 to carry out research on this, and he, at the time, realised that Che Guevara the famous revolutionary knew the Perons, I believe, and decided at that time that Che would make the perfect narrator. And I'm not really sure why that happened, because Che is a pointless character, but, you know... And also, I'm really not sure that Che from Evita is all that similar to how I imagined Che Guevara was in real life. Um, and I feel like if he saw Evita, he'd be very offended. Yeah. I mean, at least in the production that we saw, maybe with a good actor, he's got sort of a presence on stage, but all he did was sort of stalk around and raise his eyebrows a lot and not enunciate. It's interesting, I think, that Tim Rice was so obsessed with Eva Perón, and yet, I don't don't want to speak for both of us, but he portrays her as the most irritating... Shallow. Shallow, and it's just everything is so sexist. Everything about the way he's portrayed her is so awful. She just seems like a complete like just like she has no depth no integrity really but but he was like obsessed so he clearly thought that she was an amazing and and she must have had something about her that was really amazing to have got where she got in life and yet you do not get any of that in the music or i didn't feel we i've only seen it once and i couldn't make it through the film of evita but she's not an appealing person in that show at all no she's not and i feel like we saw emma hatton in the role and emma hatton is quite good and so i you'd sort of have to blame it on the material just not being there you know yeah i do firmly blame the material let's talk about the score shall we sure i mean we have to just single out don't cry for me argentina is a great song that cannot be denied an excellent excellent song buenos aires also a fun song yeah, I love that song. Okay. Another suitcase in another hall. A beautiful, beautiful song. Beautiful. There's moments in this show that are great. But then there's also, like, I can't even remember the name of the song, but basically, like, Slut Shaming the Anthem. What's that song called? <laughs> I think it is actually called Slut Shaming the Anthem. I think that's the name of it. Should be. I'm looking at a song list and I can't figure out which one that. But there is basically a whole song where they're just. Which is just. I guess in 1978 might not have been so shocking in how slut-shamey it is, but really should have been cut for a 2017, did we see it, production? I think so, yeah. It just... There are a lot of fundamentally bad songs in this show, I would argue. Yeah. And looking at this song list, I basically, apart from the songs we've mentioned, most of these I couldn't hum a tune for no i completely agree which is weird because people love evita people do love it i'm just i can't fathom why abby i'll be honest with you no just think it's 
I mean, the story, her life was very interesting and could have been told so well, but just yeah. hasn't. I mean, I think it's also hindered by the fact that it's sung through. It's a sung through show, so they're trying to fit very complicated sort of themes in yeah and political discourse and you know nationalism and all that kind of stuff into like jaunty tunes and they just do not manage it like it's not it's just not done well i just oh so disappointing i like when i went to see it i was bored out of my mind like i was like my thoughts were wandering i was like i've never been never in my life been so bored during a show i feel like i was bored and then occasionally slightly offended (laughs) <laughs> and then back to board and it's a shame because i really think on the face of it eva peron like i can 100 percent see why you'd think to write a musical about her yeah she goes from sort of um an impoverished upbringing just big ambitions of being famous essentially and she meets juan peron and marries him and he becomes president of argentina and it's then sort of about how she struggles with the responsibilities and like the public criticism of her new role as sort of the people's leader of Argentina. And, you know, that's a good story and could be done very sensitively and could be done in a way that doesn't just make her seem like a money-grabbing arsehole. But yeah, that's not like a to the show. Yeah, a way that's empowering, even while acknowledging that, you know, I'm sure she was a flawed person. But really, yeah. Evita just made me hate Eva Peron. But, like, I mean, I did leave thinking I want to read a biography of this woman because she could not have been that horrendous. I just, like, yeah... I I don't understand. I don't understand how it's so popular. I mean, it was very uh, successful. The original West End run ran for nearly eight years. The original yeah. Broadway run ran for one and a half thousand performances. So, again, very successful. I just I can't understand why. But that is the truth of what happened. It won the Olivier and the Tony Award for Best Musical. Just I don't understand. Oh, what a show, Abby! What a show. Also, can we talk about the fact that in the original West End cast, Che Guevara was played by David Essex. <laughs> David <laughs> fucking Essex. Oh, David Essex. I mean, it doesn't surprise me. It does not surprise me, to be honest. It's casting like that that makes me want to be a casting director. You know, because mm-hmm. one day I could make such an iconic decision. Mm. Dream big. <laughs> dream big i feel like we should also mention but just very quickly because i feel like we've talked enough about evita and i'm over it but there was a film there was and madonna was in it good for her absolutely absolutely good for her so that that's evita that is evita nailed it (laughs) we will be finishing off the 1970s next week with a little sondheim episode so if you remember way back when we did an into the woods episode we're going to be doing a sweeney todd episode so doing a deep dive into more of sometimes work and i really like sweeney todd it's one of one of my favorite musicals would i say it's one of my favorite sondheim musicals for sure i like the dark themes and i'm excited to focus on it next week ball bulletin not doing anything again i don't really know why we're doing this because yeah he's he's resolutely refusing to do any work if he could just you know stop being so lazy get to work so we have something to talk about that'd be great would love that any other business from you i have a heartfelt film recommendation this week to all the boys i loved before on netflix because it I is you would love that. a damn near perfect teen rom-com 
it was in the same realm as Love, Simon. I just think there was a gap for a while where there weren't any good teen rom-coms coming out. And they're like one of my favourite genres. And I think both, yeah, Love, Simon and To All The Boys I Loved Before are just so pure and lovely and enjoyable and just great core characters, great core relationships. Just really fun and sweet. I have been enjoying season two of In the Dark, which I have now finished. It's a podcast about... Season two is about the trial of a man called Curtis Flowers, who has been tried six times for a crime that I very much doubt that he committed. And I think if you listen to the podcast, you will also have these doubts because there's just no evidence. There's no evidence against him. And he's been on death row since 1997. So if you like sort of... It's it's true crime, but it's not a scary true crime. It's um more about the sort of miscarriages of justice that have been done against him and the sheer racism of the judicial system in America. That's what it's about. And it's very, very good. It's reported very, very well by Madeline Barron from American Public Media. And just would recommend, would highly recommend. Season one is also very good, but a bit, a lot darker, much sadder. Um, Season two is just more infuriating. I just love how different... The different vibes of our recommendations almost every week. <laughs> true. Very true. Oh, also, I think I might have mentioned this before, but Sharp Objects with Amy Adams is a great series. It's on Now TV if you have that. And the final episode is this week. And I'm very, very excited to find out who the murderer is. So again, true crimey. All my recommendations are true crime based. I've just realised yeah, this. Please. Sorry about that. But Sharp Objects is very good. Very moody. Very, very good. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next week with Sweeney Todd. See you then. See you then. Bye. Bye.